I am Gary McKee. I'm 54 years old. I live in Northern England. I live in the Lake District, beautiful area of the world. Um, I've been a fundraiser for over 20 years. That came about after the passing of my father. He'd had cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer in 1997. He passed away in 2003 of an unrelated illness. And in his memory, I wanted to do something that would raise funds and help those who were being told the same devastating news that we'd been told. Um, uh, I think cancer affects everybody, either directly or indirectly. So the things that I've done over the years, the very first thing I've done was a cycle through Brazil. I've never been a cyclist. I didn't realise Brazil was the fifth largest country in the world. And I think when I got there, I, I thought I'd maybe bit off a little bit more than I could chew. But um, it was... It, it was a great experience. There was lots of, I think there was 60 people took part in the challenge. Um, it was through like banana plantations. There was a lot of on and off road. Um, and I raised quite a bit of money and I, I got the bug for wanting to help more people, raise more money, raise the profile of the charities and just continue doing what I was doing. So the following year, I climbed Kilimanjaro, um, Africa's highest mountain. Living in the Lake District, we've got lots of mountains um, on my doorstep, so I had good practice there, up and down the, the fells, as we call them. Again, I raised lots of money, um, uh, certainly, definitely bitten by the the bug of helping others. Um, I went on the following year to do the Abel Tasman Coastal Trek in New Zealand. So I'd been getting about a little bit, but then my children were born, um, you had two boys and I was thinking I didn't really need to be away from home I could still do challenges that involved still seeing them and, and stuff so I started doing running challenges and in 2011 I ran from Land's End to John O'Groach which are the most two extreme points in the United Kingdom um, setting off at Land's End I was running 32 mile average a day uh, for 27 days I reached John O'Groach's 27 days later, um, I had a camper van support vehicle. One of the guys who works for me drove that. And another guy who works for me cycled next to me. And those two used to take turns at driving and cycling. And we've seen the, the country at a leisurely pace of me running uh, through England. We touched into Wales and then through Scotland. Uh, Scotland's very, very remote. There's hardly any cars on the roads and it was a, a fantastic time. If we saw somebody doing a bit of f salmon, fishing, salmon fishing, we would just stop and watch and it was very, very peaceful. We were, we were at um, one with the world and what was going on around us. It was just a, an absolutely fantastic occasion. I raised over £25,000 on that and I was then starting to see how the money was helping people. I've always explained to me children that, £50 buys a food blender for somebody with throat cancer. So if you think of all the money that I was raising and divided into 50s, and that's how many people you're reaching out to. Um, I ran coast to coast, which went from Seton Carew on the east coast of England to Whitehaven, where I live on the west coast. It's a route of 118 miles, and I covered it in under 24 hours. One of the things I've... Um, always been able to do is run but I've never been in a running club I've never ran competitively I've done hundreds well thousands of marathons um, but I've never I've only done them to improve on my own times 
and I've used my fundraising and running as a vehicle to raise more funds. Um, in 2017, uh, to celebrate what would have been my dad's 80th year, and it was 20 years since he'd had his diagnosis, I just put 80 and 20 together and came up with 100, so I decided I would run 100 marathons in 100 days. And people thought I was a bit crazy, you know. One marathon is probably enough for a lot of people, so I had to do back-to-backs and then do a week of running and a month of running and carry on and do 100 days. Seemed somewhat impossible. Um, but I did it, and I, I had lots of support runners and riders, people getting behind me and coming to join me. Um, raised over a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds. So, a lot of money was going to the charities, and they would be able, they were being able to offer the support that they do, and knowing that the money that I was raising was staying local and helping local people, just spurred me on to do more. Um, there's a, a cycle route in the United Kingdom in the Lake District where I live called the Fred Whitten, and it takes in all the Lakeland passes. It's 12,000 feet of climbing. Um, it's 112 miles in distance. And I decided that I would be the first person to run it. So I ran the Fred Whitten. Nobody's ever run it before. Um, and nobody's run it since. But I did it again in under 24 hours, and it was brutal. Um, when you're running through the night, it puts a different spin on things. Um, for me, I've done plenty of 100 milers my body starts asking questions after 70 mile and it's your mind that's got to answer those questions you know you start being a little bit sick and you've still probably got 40 mile to do or 15 on occasions but you've just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and and going and going on and I had people who was willing me on and running with me running next to me and we were they were talking me through it and stuff so it, again it was fantastic in 2021 yeah when we were in the depths of COVID, the country, everybody was in a COVID coma. Um, nobody seemed to know what to do. And I wanted to encourage folk to still get outside and do their daily exercise. So I decided it was um, Macmillan Cancer Support, one of the charities that I uh, fundraised for. It was their 110th year. So I decided I would up my game and do 110 marathons in 110 days. All the things I've ever done, I've balanced work off at the same time. So when I'm running a marathon, I'll do it in the morning and then go to work in the afternoon, which can be quite tricky, but, you know, <laughs> there's the testers on there. So I've done 110, and there was a guy said to me that he would do half of them with me, 55 he'd done. Um, because of COVID rules and regulations, I could only have one other runner until things changed, and then it was six, and then it was unlimited. So by the time I'd finished in May, May the 21st of 2021, um, I think it was about 150 people done the last day with me. People on bikes, people walking, walking dogs, pushing prams, all sorts of things like that. And it, again, it was a, it was great for the charities um, because I was putting them in the limelight and giving the awareness of that they exist and, and the support that they can offer people. So I raised, um, what was it, 200 and something thousand pounds. And then last year, I sat down with the family. I've always, 
encourage my children to fundraise with me. And I think fundraising gives you uh, a good grounding. Of, it, it's about being able to help other people through whatever it is you choose to do. So my children have saw me fundraise all their lives. Um, our Alfie's now 18, but when he was only seven years old, so in 2012, I carried the Olympic torch and that was the year that I ran coast to coast and one of my friends had said to me, why don't we, you take some time out with the family who've just had a new baby and we'll do a, a we'll get a hundred people to raise a hundred pounds so we're still going to raise £10,000 and, you know, you can spend more time with the family. So we've done a, a launch at the local rugby club and there was a, a grid of 10 by 10 and people put their name in a box and say what they were going to do. And when my children saw it, Alfie was seven and he said, He'd been watching the Olympics and he'd seen the Brownlee brothers doing triathlons and he said, I'll do one of them triathlon things, Dad, seven-year-old. And I said, oh, yeah, well, so how's that going to work out? He said, well, the other brains in the family, you, you'd work it out. So he actually, he swam across our local lake. I was with him. And then he cycled from the lake to the village, the local village, and then he ran from the village to our town finished at the rugby club when the, a big game was on and they had a bucket collection. He raised over £1,500, which was fantastic because he pushed himself. I watched him push himself and I was very, very proud of him. My other son, who was only four, he said, if he's doing something, Dad, I'm doing something. I'm going to walk around Ennerdale Lake and Ennerdale Lake was seven miles round. And I said, it's a bit far, that boy. And he said, you think I can't do it, Dad? Is that what you're saying? And I said, no, I don't think that. I think it's... We could do another lake. What about Buttermere? I said, Buttermere is only four miles and it's got a shop that sells ice cream. And he said, let's do Buttermere, Dad. <laughs> so the ice cream sold it on him. But he raised £500 and um, they've just they've done lots of other fundraising themselves. They understand about the £50 with the food blenders and you know the, everything I've ever done. They've got behind me when I've done 110 marathons, I, Alfie cycled 26.2 mile every single day on the spin bike that we've got in the gym at home. And he raised lots and lots of money. But he, he's, he's also keeping himself fit by doing it. And people are seeing what he's doing. And it's great for, to inspire other people that if a 16-year-old can do that, then why can't I? You know, and our boy, when he was 11, he ran for 501 consecutive days. He raised over £35,000 because he's seen his dad do it. And he just thought, well, if he can, I can. He ran a minimum of three mile every single day for... 501 days. The exemplary, the, the fantastic kids. Um, we sat down as a family the end of 2021 and I discussed what we would do next. And I need my family's blessing because it takes up a lot of time. Um, I had to juggle work with marathon running. Uh, I had to still be a dad to three children. They still wanted dad time and I didn't want it to impact on our family life. So we said about I was going to run 365 marathons in 365 days. Um, once I told the kids, they were like, right, well, where would your dad? We'll, we'll support that and we'll do that. So Bo, um, he actually cycled 50 of those marathons with me. Minnie, who was only nine at the time, she cycled 10 with me. Um, Alfie, he'd done as much as he could. You know, he was on the bike with his, he would uh, do a bit of running with his and they all got behind me and supported me and, and helped out. So it was a an absolutely incredible year. 
And if you want to fire some questions towards us about that, then I'll we'll go into it a little, in a bit more depth if you if you want. Yeah, definitely. It's quite a, a background of a resume right there. It's pretty awesome to hear. Um, let's talk a little bit about doing the marathon a day, because I think, like you were saying um, when you were talking, that most people can go out and do a marathon or they have, and that's their goal. But then doing a marathon back to back to back to back, it's a it's a quite a big achievement. So can you tell me more about how that went and just like kind of the challenges that came up and how did you go doing it? Yeah, so... Started on January the first, twenty twenty-two, and it was the hottest January first on record. It was fourteen degrees in the UK, which was unheard of. Um, about four days later, it was minus six. You know, so the temperatures varied enormously. But the plan would be: I'd saved up a lot of annual leave from work, um, so I would take off as much time as I could. I was doing a little bit of working from home, which always made it easier from um, a recovery perspective, so I could, I could have my legs in. I've got some um, like, like boot things that you, you pull on and they put pressure on your legs that are inflated and there's heat in them. Um, so I would use that when I was at home. But the, the running was generally, I would be up at six o'clock in the morning. I would uh, have a little a light breakfast, always just a couple of slices of toast and two cups of coffee. I would do a video of the day. I had a, a young lad who set up his own digital media business and he said he wanted to promote what I was doing. So he would have a look at the videos and they set up on a, a Twitter account and we had another Facebook account, 365 Marathon Man, and we were getting followed by around about 50,000 people. So we were spreading the word every day on what I was doing. Um, I would set off running at 8 o'clock in the morning after I'd done a motivational video and there was a guy came out every day to take photographs and then upload them onto the social media pages. So a marathon at the time was when I first set off, I was probably averaging three hours 40. Um, during the run at the halfway point, there was uh, an elderly gentleman. He'd seen me, his daughter <coughs> had volunteered him because he was retired. And his daughter had done all the merchandise, so we had Marathon Man mugs, Marathon Man tops, Marathon Man calendars, absolutely all sorts to try and raise as much money. Because the two objectives were to raise, uh, sorry, to run 365 marathons and to raise one million pounds. And the, I always felt comfortable with the running part of it, thought that was within my gift. But the raising of a million pounds was always going to be a big ask. Simply because of we'd just come out of COVID, the cost of living crisis. You know, money was a little bit tight. In we only live in a, a, a town that's seven thousand people in it. You know, but it, I knew that if I was running every day and we got the national media involved, then it would go out there and people would see what I was doing and hopefully donate. So I'd set off at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, oh, the guy who made me, he, he came out and he made me a cup of tea every day at the halfway point and Cumbrian weather is usually rain and more rain. You know, the, the monsoon season starts in January and finishes in December. It's just wet, wet, wet. But he'd come out and he'd have warm towels and hot water bottles and, and a cup of tea and, and cake. And people saying the halfway point as if they wanted to do a half marathon, they would meet me there and then they would run back with me. And it was brilliant. It was great. Um, loads of people were coming just to see us. There was a guy who got in touch with me 
and he said, Gary, can I come with you? And I said, yeah, no problem at all. So there was loads of exchanges. And the very last thing he sent me was, oh, by the way, I'm 74 years old. And I was like, oh, geez, what's going to turn up here? But when, when he came, he was on the bike and he just his appearance was, he was impeccably dressed. He was just, you could see he'd been an athlete. And he joined me for 10 miles and he said, I've really enjoyed myself today. Can I come with you next time? And I said, Brian, I'm here for a year. You can come every day. You know where I live. You know where I start. You know the times. So the next time he came with me, I said, how far today, Brian? He said, I'll go to the halfway point and I'll have a cup of tea with you. So when we got to the halfway point, Bill, who was making the tea, he had hands like shovels. They were massive. He said, would you like a cup of tea? Brian said, yeah, I'll have a, a tea white with one sugar, please. So he made this tea and he handed it to Brian and he put his hand out and he said, Bill Arnott. And Brian looked at him and he went, "Blooming hell, Bill, I haven't seen you for 60 years. And the pair of them had gone to school together and they hadn't seen each other in 60 years. And in subsequent weeks and months, I would be running up the halfway point. Here's Bill and his wife, Janet, and Brian and his wife standing having a, a conversation about how their paths had, what r route they'd gone on and their careers and the family. And it was just a lovely, lovely time. I'd usually finish running <clears throat> around about 12 o'clock-ish. But I'd come in the house. One of my friends owns uh, a business that deals in healthy food. So he made me food for the whole year. He would do two food drops a week, and it was all high protein, uh, full of carbs, and just really tasty, good food. And that just meant that when I came in, all I had to do was throw something in the microwave, and two minutes later I was eating. It didn't take up any of my time. I didn't have to think about food. It was already there. Somebody else had took that out of my um, one of the problems that I had to solve. They'd said, well, I'll, I'll do that. So that just get, freed up a little bit more time. I'll get a shower, try and get a little bit of um, recovery on my legs, and then I'll go to work. And that would be the next process the next day. You know, you get up again at 6 o'clock in the morning, do your videos, and, and just go running. And one of the things <clears throat> that was so good about it was you didn't know who was going to be outside. There was people joining me from all over the UK. Uh, they'd send me a message and say, is it okay if I can run? And say, yeah, you know, the more the merrier. One of the other things I wanted to do was get into as many schools as possible and show school children about exercise and encourage them to do a lot more exercise and uh, the benefits of it and how exercise can go hand in hand with fundraising. So a lot of the schools have uh, done their own fundraising and put the money onto my page and tried to push me towards that million-pound target. So it was a fantastic opportunity for anybody who just wanted to build up the miles. By the time we'd finished, there was over 200 people had run full-distance marathons with me. There was over 70 people had cycled, and there was over 3,000 school children had joined me to do a little bit of running. And, you know, it, it was just a, a great opportunity for them, and it was a great opportunity for me to, to showcase what we were doing. And, you know, it, it just... The whole town got behind me and pushed me. Um, there was days where the weather made it more difficult. I picked up an injury. Um, the office was short at work and I was going in in the mornings and then running when I got home. So I'd be up at 4.30 in the morning, go to work, put a full shift in and then come home and have to run a marathon. And by the Friday, I, I would double back into work in the afternoon so it meant I was doing two marathons in 16 hours. And it became, I picked an injury up. I had hamstring tendonitis. Um, 
I had a doctor who was running with me and he said, I'll, I'll put your cortisone in it if you want and we'll see if that helps. And he banged the cortisone in and to be honest, it was like running with a, a dead leg for about five or six days. I was wrecking my shoes and and I had to slow everything down um, just to try and get through the day. So it also meant I had to set off earlier because marathon times would take a little bit longer. I wasn't so bothered about that. I, you know, it was pointed out to me that time was pretty relevant. It was just about completion, about putting one foot in front of the other and getting to December. And this was in July, so December probably to a lot of people looked like it was a long way off. To me, it just looked like if I was getting half a percent of um, recovery and improvement, then I was thinking, you know, in 100 days, I'll be fine, I'll be done, and it'll be a lot better than it is. And, and I just worked into it. Um, and, and by slowing down, it meant more people could join me because my pace was probably too quick. I was eight-minute miles, and then I, I cut it down till. Um, around about 10-minute miles, and people were more comfortable with that. You know, they, they were pushing themselves further, which allowed more people to to join and feel more comfortable with it. And I was comfortable with the fact that we, I was still churning the, the miles out and I was doing it on my own terms. I wasn't bothered about if people thought um, I, I should have been going faster. There was no real need. Um, as the year went on, it was it was incredible that, Starting in January and finishing in December, I've seen the full cycle of the four seasons. So when we started, um, there was frost on the ground and there was snow on the mountains. Um, then we, we got into spring and all the flowers came out and you've seen the lambs in the field. And it was the, the trees were full of greenery and leaves. And then as you go through summer and we had the hottest summer on record in the UK, um, I ran in, it was 34 degrees, a bit like in the desert. But um, elsewhere in the UK, it was up to 41. You know, but uh, the the leaves started turning colour. We came into autumn, then they'd drop off the trees. You'd see the geese that you'd watched coming, going back to warmer climbs. And it was, it was an, and then the snow came again and the frost and, you know, it was, it was an experience, and all this was recorded. <clears throat> Pardon me. And it was all photographed. And when you look back at the photos through the whole year, it's just incredible to see. Christmas week, really, really special. We had on Christmas Eve, we had a, a Santa dash. So there was over fifty people dressed as Santa. Um, we went to the local brewery. The local brewery had made a beer called Marathon Man. It was the strongest beer that they did. I hadn't had a beer for over a year. Um, when I finished, I had a bottle of it and I was falling over. Um, but it was a fantastic week. Uh, we were coming towards the end, which is always bittersweet because you've built up such a, a strong following and people don't know what to do afterwards when you'd finished. I likened the 365 to uh, a Kevin Costner film called Field of Dreams, which is about a baseball team and the slogan in the, the story is, if you build it, they will come. And I just said that the 365 was like a jigsaw, 365-pace jigsaw, where every day you do a run, you put a pace in place, and it builds up a big picture. And the, the idea of, if we build it, they will come, would be the national media. Because I needed that uh, platform if I was going to raise a million pounds. 
a lot of people were a bit disappointed that it wasn't getting the traction and the media attention that they considered it to be worthy of. I just said, if we build it, they will come. So on day 364, me just giving pages on £550,000. Work had put £55,000 on to get me over half a million. Still had half a million to get to. But I, I knew that things would change and things would happen. And then on New Year's Eve, day 365, there was a knock on the door and it was the BBC and they came to set me off at 20 past eight there in the morning. So we'd done a few interviews that went out and people couldn't believe that this guy was running his final marathon of the year and he'd ran one every single day of that year. They set me off and on the route, people used to put boxes out for me that had water, um, hot drinks when it was the colder months, there would be chocolate, fruit, biscuits, just things that would sustain us. didn't meant I didn't have to carry stuff as well. And one of the boxes was four mile into me running. There was always a quart on the top of the box. And I took my phone out to take a photograph of the quart. And it pinged. And I looked, it was me just giving page. And it had gone from 550,000 to 650,000 in 40 minutes. So I pretty much had a sense that today's the day we're going to do what we said we're going to do. The marathons were boxed off. You know, I'd done that. The final day was more about. Uh, the celebration of what we'd done and what we'd achieved and it was everything that we'd set out to do really. So we ran and we ran and we got the miles in at the halfway point. We were at the local where we stopped all the time. It was a go-kart track and we'd done a lap of the go-kart track. There was a, a brass band there. There was all the TV crews had set up up there. So Sky News were there, the BBC were there. There was drones up in the air. There was um, 250 people came to to clap us in. We had uh, a cup of tea for the last time. We were doing things for the last time and it was a bit a bit bittersweet. I was doing interviews and stuff and it was going out live on the TV and the donations were pouring in and coming in thick and fast. And then at 20 past, when I'd finished, we came through our local town and the streets were absolutely chock-a-block. It was raining, but nobody's spirit was dampened. There was, we finished at the rugby club like I had previously on the hundred and ten. Those fireworks going off, and we had uh, we'd planned uh, a night of celebration where the, the the room was there was 150 people there, and you could have heard a pin drop because everybody was looking at the phone, just watching the phone and the page going up and up and up. And then there was a big cheer went up at 20 past seven at night, and we just given page had gone over a million pounds, so we really had done it. And when I look back, and sometimes what I don't do enough of is is reflecting. I just think that what I'd done was only what I said I was going to do. I didn't do any more than that. I ran 365 marathons like I told people I was going to do. I was immensely proud of the fact that we'd raised over a million pounds. It ended up just shy of 1.4 million. But I was proud that we'd been into the schools and we'd got school children up off their bums and out running, walking the local fells, doing stuff that they hadn't previously done. I was proud of the charities being able to provide the support that people need in the darkest times. And I was proud of the people who got behind me, my children, my family, my wife, Susan, um, the people who came out in all weather conditions, Bill and Janet, who made me a cup of tea every day. You know, the local community were galvanised by a bit of running. And I know it was a lot of running, but that's all it was at the end of the day. It was doing what I said I was going to do and inspiring others to 
to push themselves out of their comfort zone and get comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes, putting one foot in front of the other and not giving in. And we talked a lot about the skills that people had gained. There was a lot of people came with us who had um, mental health issues that they were trying to, that they were dealing with and fighting with. And they said that running had given them a bit of purpose in life and it was better than going to the doctors. So they spent lots of time with me and it, it made me feel proud that they were helping themselves by helping me. You know, so there was lots and lots of things that came out of it. Um, there's a running group that was put together from all those that joined me and they still go out on, on weeklies. And and it's great to see uh, that it's been sustained. And the legacy that we've left is one of people believing in themselves and, you know, the money that was raised, one of the charities, Hospice at Home West Cumbria, they made me the vice chairman of the, of the charity, which is a massive honour. And the work that they can do now because of the money being raised is means that they're reaching out to more people. They built a new, uh, they, they provide a new service that within the first month month of its launch, they treated 28 people, which was unheard of in, in where the parts that we live. Um, so they're doing fantastic work with the money that we pulled in. And and looking back, you know, I, I, I can't believe that it's coming up a year since we finished and it's coming up almost two years since we started. It just gives you a reflection on how time goes by so quickly and, you know, we're not guaranteed any of it. It's really important that we live the best life that we can and we get the best version of ourselves through living the best life. Yeah, definitely. I would 100% agree with that. And it's pretty inspiring and pretty amazing what you've done over the years. So let's kind of compare that to, to Grand to Grand this year. And if I remember correctly from what you told me at the race, that Colin, the race director, contacted you after he saw you on TV and then invited you to come out to, to Utah in the United States to, to run Grand to yeah. Grand. So obviously there's differences between running a marathon every day for an entire year versus yeah. running a self-supported stage race for a week out in the desert. So how would you kind of compare and contrast the two things? Maybe like focus on the challenges here, like the challenges of running a marathon a day versus running a stage race in a different country. Yeah, so the marathons a day, you build a routine, you set off at the same time, you have your, your route. People know where you're at, so you've got support there. They'll carry your kit if you need be, so they'll carry your water. Um, all you've got to do is run. Colin did contact me and he asked me if I'd heard of the Grand to Grand before and I, I said I hadn't and I watched the video and as soon as I'd watched it, I went and said to my wife, hey, watch this. And she said, that looks fantastic. I said, it is and they've invited me out to America to do it. And she said, well, you've got to go. So that was the, you know, the, the blessing from my family. The only downside to it was, it was my son's birthday while I was away, so I missed his birthday. But he said, Dad, you've got to do it. Um, just go and enjoy it. He said, well, have other birthdays. So the differences mainly were um, the environment, carrying your kid, something that I had to train to um, get comfortable with a backpack on and run with a backpack on. Um, the heat, you know, it, it was, well, you know, what it was like, it, it, it can be brutal at times. There's no, it's a bit unforgiving. There's no, shade that you can you know duck under you're out in the the sun and you've just got to make sure that you you try and cover as much up as you can and and don't suffer from heat stroke um 
take as much water on board, keep your, uh, keep putting salt in, uh, look at your salt intake and make sure you're, you're getting enough food. So it's about having that balance of, there was lots and lots of different things where you had to trial the food that you were going to take with you, make sure that it worked for you, make sure you had a good um, system for your electrolytes, making sure that you were getting enough of them in. And because I hadn't done stage racing before, I didn't really know what I was going to let myself in for. I've never um, really blistered. I don't get blisters. Now, I was watching the Zoom meetings and they were talking about blisters and I was thinking, I don't know if I should be watching this because I don't get blisters. But boy, did I get blisters. You know, and I think it's because your feet are in different, moving in different directions because of the, the terrain itself. You know, a lot of it's like, uh, the, the soft sand to deal with, and there's always the sand ingress into your shoes. I wore gaiters. I wore. Um, I, I'm sponsored by Hocker, and they sent us four pairs of shoes. One of them was um, the new uh, Zindal, I think they called it, and it's got like a sock where you put your foot into it, and it, it stops any ingress of sand. But I wore gaiters on top as well. But sand still gets in. You can't keep it out. Um, I blistered really bad because. My feet were moving in different directions. Not when you're running marathons, you just it's, it's one uh, constant movement. Where you're going across the desert um, and across different uh, types of f- uh, flooring, so it could be soft sand, it could be hard packed sand, it could be the lava rocks, it could be the brush. It, you, there's a lot of tree roots that you're standing and clambering over. You're looking out for cactus and they always find you. you you can see them but they'll they'll prickle you and you know you know what it's like there was blood everywhere um and then there's the heat and then there's the backpack and you know there's the the rock canyons that you the slot canyons you're going through there's the mountain that you're climbing up there's the rope ladders there's there's just a varying thing of, of difficulties and there's also the digital detox of not knowing what's happening at home and so you, you tend to find that the family that you've left behind um, are replaced by the family who you meet on the trail and the people who you share your, your tent with. Um, they become your, your family and you look after each other. And that's exactly what it was like. You know, I remember I'd said uh, right at the very beginning, I've come here to win. But you've got to understand that winning has many guises. For me, winning will mean talking to somebody and telling them that they can do something that they didn't believe they could do. Those who wanted to give in, just say, give it another hour. Give it another hour with me and we'll see where we're at. It'll Things will have changed. You know, getting to the finish line and waiting for somebody coming in and taking the backpack off them and taking them to the tent and getting them a drink, making sure they've got some salt and making sure that everything's going to be all right. It's somebody who's cold at night, giving them your jacket, you know, because you're not as cold because your bag's a little bit better than theirs. But that's what winning is to me. And I went out with the, the mindset that I was... I was going to help as many people as I could. I was going to get through whatever I had to get through myself. But I was going to help as many people as, as I could. And I was going to raise the profile of J2J and also the profile of the charity I was raising money for. So I made lots of connections. Um, I, I still, I'm still in touch with everybody who um, I, I spoke to on a daily basis out in America. And it was just... Uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, occasion. I remember coming out of the tent on, I think it was the second night, uh, I was going to the toilet and, and I looked up and you honestly felt as if if you'd reached out you could touch the stars. The, the, they just seemed so close. The, 
the sky, there's no air pollution, as you know, and it's just absolutely incredible. I remember the, the long stage and going up the dunes at night and like just laying down on the dunes and looking around and thinking, this is life. This is what it's supposed to be. And it was incredible. Um, I made lots of friends that I think will be friends for life. You know, I, I will keep in touch. Um, I'm going to do a talk down at Throne with Andrew uh, Barsim, who was me, uh, one of my tent buddies. And I keep in touch with, with all of them. They're just lovely people. We're all there for the same reason, to help each other and to get, get through it. it. The differences were were massive. You know, from running a marathon every day to, to doing stage racing, um, you don't get a, a great deal of sleep because you're in a tent. Um, the home comforts are removed. You're limited to your food, what you can, what you, how many calories you can put in. When I was running a marathon, I was knocking around about 6,000 calories in. Um, I was limited to 2,800 that I took with me on the, the grand to grand. So, but you do, you, you have hunger pangs, but you get over them, you know. You lose a little bit of weight and you feel a little bit colder at night time because it's been 30 odd in the afternoon and then it drops down to single figures and, yeah, you know, but you just, you button up and enjoy the ride, really. Yeah, I think one of the, the greatest things of stage racing and Grand to Grand specifically is just the camaraderie between people. Like, you kind of show up and for the most part, you, you probably don't know anybody and you're thrown yeah. into a tent with these people for a week and, and you, it's kind yeah. of like the, the, the phrasing isn't right, but like misery loves company or you become better friends through suffering together with people. Yeah. And it's really cool to see. And even from my perspective, like just out there shooting video, like I've met people from years ago, years ago, and we still keep in touch or I'll see them randomly on a trail. And it's like, yeah. it, it's really cool to see. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you had that experience as well. I think one of the other things that was quite overwhelming at times was the checkpoints and how the people at the checkpoints were looking after you and really, really looking after you, you know. They were giving you that, putting that arm around you and saying, well done and you can do this and spraying you with a, a little bit of water and making sure your bottles were taken out and filled up and asking if you needed a, a little rest or what they could do for you. They were they were fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Like The, the medical crew and all the volunteers oh. are just kind of next level and great people. Yeah, they understand what needs to be said at the right time, you know, and they always have a little bit of sunshine in the pocket to, to brighten up your day. <laughs> yeah. Sunshine to go with the, all the natural sunshine out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Gary, as we kind of start to wrap up here, um, you've obviously, you've done a lot of running and just long distance ultra stuff in your life. Like you're saying, you're, you're uh, cycling across Brazil and everything and your marathons and now grand to grand. So what tips would you have? And this is kind of a general question, but like, what would be like your, your biggest tip to somebody who wants to sign up for Grand to Grand this coming year? I would definitely encourage anybody who wants to do a stage race to sign up to the Grand to Grand because it is a difficult race, but it, that difficulty can be lessened by practicing with your kit, understanding what that kit's going to do for you, trying out the food beforehand before, you, you actually go, make sure you take them what you like. Um, speak to other people who has done the race before um, and train as much as you can with your pack on. You know, go for long days. Go out on the, the hill for a long, long day, you know, and, and get comfortable doing long days because there is going to be some long days that you, you're doing. 
Um, walk, run if you need to. But most importantly, get to the end. You know, whatever you're going through, it'll stop when you get into camp and the help you. Sitting around the campfire, um, talking about the day. It's it's a fantastic experience and one that, you know, I can only say a thank you to, to Colin and Tess for allowing me to take part in the best stage race that there is. Yeah, no, that's a good way to, to wrap that up there. So thanks again, Gary, for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. you got a lot going no, on. No bother, Derek. It's evening time for you, so... <laughs> no problem at all. Thank you very much for the uh, for the opportunity to tell people about the Grand to Grand and about my story too.